Hello, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. And today we're talking about five early career hurdles and how to overcome them with our guest, Devin Turcott. Devin, using she, her pronouns, is the founder of Careerified, a GTA-based career practice that focuses on career clarity for Generation Z or Gen Z, if you're an American listener. She works with high school students and youth who have withdrawn from post-secondary education to help them own their career and education journey, as well as with 20-somethings who haven't quite landed in their working lives the way they expected to. Devin's draw to the career development field is rooted in the connection between mental health and youth career decisions. She's a fierce advocate for lifelong learning and believes that there's always an alternate route to success. Prior to starting her business, Devin worked with thousands of teens, parents, and educators delivering in-school presentations on careers in the skilled trades and recruiting and career coaching in Ontario's community college system. She joins us from Markham, Ontario. Devin, welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. What a cool background. It's, um, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, lots uh, of interesting yeah. stuff. It was, uh, it was a wild ride to get here, for sure. <laughs> Can you tell our dear listener a little bit more about your career story? Sure. Um, this is actually one of my favorite questions to get. Um, you guys must get it a lot, too, because I find what we do people are like, oh, that's really cool. I could use some career coaching. Um, so I always begin by telling people, well, I started in environmental consulting, which is not at all what they're expecting to hear. Um, it's what I decided to pursue. I did my undergrad in geography and really uh, was interested in that piece of it. So I did a one-year grad cert at an Ontario college to get ready for kind of the environmental industry. And um uh, then I went into work for a small firm that specialized in air and noise regulatory uh, stuff for industrial facilities, which, yes, that's a thing. Cool. <laughs> um, but uh, the organization was amazing, but I absolutely despised the work. So I ended up going back to school for communications. I was looking into something like environmental education, and I noticed a lot of job postings were asking about stuff like communications or PR. So I decided to go that route, and much to my surprise, my first uh, job out of that was working for Skills Ontario, promoting careers in the trades to Ontario students. And I kind of haven't really looked back from career education and career coaching since then. Fantastic. That's really cool. Yeah. I would not, I did not know that about you, the educational or the environmental consulting part. Mm. And it's interesting, just something you said there among many things, just around how you, um, didn't like the work, but you liked the company, you liked the organization, the environment. And when we mm -hmm. think about how do we evaluate our careers, it sometimes it sometimes it is one, sometimes it's the other, sometimes it's both, sometimes it's something else. But like you can you can have a liking for part of your career and not all of it. So as we talk about hurdles, right, and what <laughs> different things people face as they go through their early careers, we've kind of brainstormed in advance and we've come up with these five main hurdles that often do come up for young people. So the first hurdle that we will aim to discuss in this conversation is around navigating a quarter life crisis. Devin, where should we start there? Well, quarter life crisis was a term that was coined really when the millennials were entering the workforce en masse after graduating out of post-secondary. And it was, so we're talking maybe 15, 16 years ago. And I think the millennials were probably the first generation where there was an expectation 
that they would pursue further education beyond high school, right? We had firmly planted ourselves in the knowledge economy. It was very well known. High school is just not going to cut it anymore. Um, and so there was this push, you must go get something post-secondary. But we didn't necessarily put structures in place to help people really figure out what that was supposed to be. And of course, we all know post-secondary education is really expensive, mm-hmm. right? You invest a lot of time and energy into it. And you had this entire generation of people who went, okay, cool. I got my piece of paper. I don't think I really want to do this. I don't really know. And so it was like a thin thing in the news, right? People were like, oh, all these kids moving back in with mom and dad, what's happening these <laughs> days? You know, this deep concern for society and what was going to happen. Um, and that hasn't really changed. Um, mm. Our Gen Zs are dealing with the same thing. And now it's worse because they all think they need master's degrees to mm. do anything. It's not just high school isn't enough. It's you must have a graduate or professional degree or you're not even employable. And we still haven't necessarily put those structures in place to give people um, that background that they need to do quality career exploration and make sure they're making these tens of thousands of dollars worth of decisions from a place of quality. So true. I can think back to my careers class in high school that was scary now that I know what I know. (laughs) I mean, it was kind of like, here's a list of potential jobs that are very standardized, like not, not thinking inside of the box at all, which one would you like to pick? And that Mm -hmm. was sort of how it started. There's like, you've said something there that's super interesting. Just since we've been out of high school, Lisa, uh, Devin, I, I will let you comment as you wish on this statement, but there's been a pretty dramatic rise in the number of actual job titles that exist in the world, like exponential. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I've maybe mentioned this on the show once, but like not even that long ago in the grand scheme of human existence, like about 150 years ago, there were only about a hundred different roles in the world that you could actually fall into. And, and oftentimes it was like, what does my village need? What does my family already do? And now uh, it's in the um, dictionary of occupational titles, I think as a U.S database of about 13,000 titles now that exist. And that number is, is only getting higher. Uh, it's adding like four digit (laughs) increments every year. So it's, we're in a time of really interesting change that I think makes it even more complicated for people to figure out how they can apply their education. It's interesting too, that you brought up the fact that we have to make these decisions for these expensive school programs. And it feels like it's the end. It feels like Mm -hmm. this is it. We have to figure this out. We can't change our minds after this. Do you find that with a lot of young people? Oh, yes, absolutely. The biggest thing I find I have to explain, certainly when I'm working with teenagers, um, you know, with all of them, but really with parents is a big one too, is they're not deciding their life by the time they're 18. It just doesn't work that way anymore. You know, even when you think about, how much changes based on technology alone, mm-hmm. right? Whatever they pick today, it might not exist in 20 years. So they're guaranteed to be switching into something else. Um, and uh, yeah, I find that's a major, major piece of information that people are missing. Such a great point. When you think about how this hurdle can be overcome for someone who is starting out after having done all of this long educational grind, what comes to mind for you? I find that one of the other challenges that presents itself is there's this familiarity with 
pursuing post-secondary education. And so there's a built-in assumption of if I want to change careers or if I need to do something um, different, I have to start over. And I hear that a lot. People will come to me and I'll, I'll hear, I think about changing careers. I just don't want to start over from square one, right? It's like they haven't, they haven't considered that there's other options rather than going back to a full undergrad or Mm -hmm. my favorite, I think I need an MBA. (laughs) Dang dude, MBAs are expensive. That's Mm -hmm. not something you just (laughs) want to decide on the fly. Right. So um, there, it almost sets to a default. And so for a lot of young workers, even once they're, you know, once they're in their mid late twenties, if they want to change, they think, well, I have to go over and start all over again, which is almost never the case. So true. The idea that it's like this end of the world sort of sunk cost that we're going to realize if we go back and completely change, getting away from that narrative and noticing that a lot of the time in the knowledge economy, a lot of skills transfer over much better than they did when especially if we look at that situation of 100 and 150 years ago, mm-hmm. it's not like someone who was a baker their whole life is now going to have to go and learn to become a blacksmith. Like if you can write uh, great emails and communicate well with people and think independently, like you can do a lot of different things. And if you've learned any of those kinds of skills, just by going to any school program, really just, diffusion by osmosis, like you're going to have some skills already that you can take into a future direction without blowing the whole thing up. Yeah. And so if you're experiencing a quarter life crisis, what's the first step? I think, um, recognizing it, that it's common and it's normal. (laughs) It happens a lot, um, because it feels really isolating to a lot of people, right? You start thinking, oh, everybody else seemed to have figured out what they, what they've fallen into. How come I don't know what I'm doing? Um, and usually that's not the case. Um, so I think a lot of it is just, you know, normalizing it, but I would say from there, it's starting to ask questions, right? Doing basic searches on, these are some skills I have. What are some jobs that might match that? And starting to look at what industries might use those jobs or even starting with industries alone or starting with companies, you know, oh, I don't like where I am. You know, where it would be cool to work is fill in the blank place. Let's go see what kind of people they hire. What skills do they look for? And then starting to build a network from there and figure out how you can make that shift. Um, because like I said, a lot of time, you don't, you don't need an MBA. <laughs> you don't need to go back and redo your entire school career. There's probably a lot you can build on from there. Cool. Love it. So the second of the hurdles that we're going to talk about is having a non-existent or a weak professional network. So tell us a little bit more about what you see there. Well, if you have a strong network and you are going through the quarter life crisis, you're going to recognize very quickly that that network can help you get there. Um, I find with younger workers, um, if they don't understand what networking is, nobody's ever really explained it. Um, And, you know, it's interesting, a few years back, I was working in a career center and we were sort of reviewing our workshops and presentations from the year and taking feedback. Okay, what do we need to change? And we got into this conversation about, should we call it something other than networking? Mm. And ultimately, uh, one of my coworkers proposed this and ultimately I said, but that's what it's called. (laughs) (laughs) You can dress it up however you like, but it's called networking. And you don't want to teach them something and all these techniques and call it who even knows what. And then they go out and it's like, here's this networking event. And they go, oh, I don't know how to do that. (laughs) Like, that's really, that's not going to help. Right. So, um, 
I think a lot of it is just, it's just a lack of awareness. And then you start, you know, you hop on a platform like LinkedIn and you start like, oh, I have to be really serious. I have to be, I have to be a thought leader in my industry. That's the only way I can make it. Right. And so it just becomes this big intimidating thing. Um, you know, one of the good things in the pandemic is we're not allowed to have big networking events where people stay, like they're bunched up in little cliques in like ballrooms and you're awkwardly eating danishes and hoping you don't look too weird. <laughs> um, but there's, that's been eliminated. So for a lot of people in terms of networking, they've been forced to do something a little different. And that's, um, that's to the advantage of a lot of people who don't have experience with networking. That is, yeah. And I'm just thinking about for me in the last year and some change since we've been going through the pandemic, I used to go to the odd in-person networking event and be in a group of people. And it was was fun, kind of. I mean, you can hear the energy, the lack thereof in my voice, right? Like it was, it was okay. But I love networking now that like, it's all, it's set up through places like LinkedIn. You can find someone, you can get to know you know, on the surface, what they're really all about. And you can figure out like, is this someone that I want to go and spend more time with? And so now you're setting up all of these great conversations with people that you actually like mm-hmm. what an idea. And the access geographically too. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. I was just saying before this show that I was speaking with someone today who's in Lebanon and like, that's, that's not someone that I would ever have encountered at a, an in-person meeting in Montreal typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's really great for introverts, for sure. Because um, you can send that one-off little message, especially when you've been following somebody's stuff and you've realized like they're nerdy about the same stuff you're nerdy about. Awesome. It's so much less intimidating to approach them. So um, for a lot of people, I think there's, for that one thing, that's definitely a silver lining in the pandemic is that reach and, and being able to find people in a less intimidating way than you know your local chamber of commerce, terrifying, massive breakfast where you have to not slop things on yourself. (laughs) So true. (laughs) When I think about young people who are approaching networking, so it is intimidating for sure. There's parts of it, but a lot of people don't even know where to start with it. And they feel like because their friends, parents are involved in this bigger network, they have a disadvantage. So what advice would you have for somebody who's younger who wants to start a network from scratch? I, two things I always advise. One is alumni association. Um, So any place you've graduated from has an alumni association and they'll be easy to reach out to and say, do you have anything coming up? Um, And on a similar vein, the other thing I always suggest is once you do get yourself into LinkedIn, one of the first places you want to go is the page for the school that you graduated from or mm-hmm. however many, I've been to like four schools. So however many <laughs> schools you graduated from go there um, and they have a C alumni tool and you can look up people who graduated from the same program, from the same year, whatever. Um, and of course on LinkedIn, you're seeing what they're all about, right? What's their, if they're working someplace, that sounds cool. Great. That's even more reason to reach out. But no matter what, the one thing you all have in common is you went to the same school. And if you are publicly announcing that, chances are you probably feel pretty good about going to that school. Yeah. So that's, that's one, those are the two things I always recommend to people just getting started. And so for people who didn't go to a school, what are some other options? A couple of great places there. One is just using Meetup. 
mm-hmm. um, hopping in there and just looking up groups. It doesn't even have to be, there are professional networking groups you can join, um, but it doesn't even have to be that, right? It can be, you can meet with people who like trail running because you like trail running or people who are into playing Quidditch because you love Harry Potter, whatever it is, right? So the point is to connect with people on a, on a similar basis. So that's always a great one to go and that's wide open. The other one is any kind of industry association that you may be connected to, or maybe you could connect to. Um, that's something I always suggest to students too, right? If you're studying something, chances are you can join, you know, some sort of industry association, maybe for free or at a reduced price, but those awesome. are a couple of good routes to go to. Love that. The third hurdle in our chat is around assuming that your career path will resemble that of your parents and, and then going out and behaving like it will. Mm-hmm. Let's dive into that. Where should we start? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> that's the question, isn't it? I find this starts with the parents when you're still in high school. Um, a lot of people don't realize this. There is research out there that demonstrates that Gen Zs say that the number one influencer on their career decision is the parents. And um Part of that is carrying that responsibility a little bit of recognizing that things have changed quite a lot. And so I find um, when I'm talking to parents, often what I will talk about is how hiring is different now than it was when they graduated from wherever they graduated from. Some, of course, straight out of high school, some did college or university, but the parents I work with, most of them graduated sort of mid-1990s, early to mid-1990s. And think about what hiring was like in the mid 1990s, extremely mm-hmm. different than it was than it is now. Mm-hmm. And so I find that's where it starts is once you understand that, you'll get a little bit more out of the cycle of, well, go to the right school and get the right credential. And then you get into a company and, and build a great career um, where that certainly is possible. It's not the only thing um, and it's not even the prevalent thing anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where I find it starts. I'm actually working with a client right now who um, she is kind of stuck in this one headspace of hers um, because her parents are about to retire and they're trying to figure out how are we going to manage this? How are we going to deal with finances? How are we um, going to plan out our time? What are we going to do? I'm sure the pandemic isn't helping, um, but it's very much coloring her perceptions as she tries to make a career change, right? She's very much in this place of, well, I definitely need to work somewhere where I'm going to have a a firm pension at the end of it. And it has to be, well, I mean, places that offer full pensions anymore, they're few and far between. So that Mm -hmm. severely limits the choices that she's able to make. Um, So we've had a lot of conversations about finances, (laughs) which is not something I'm an expert in, but good thing I know people who do that. Um, But that's a big piece of it, right? Is understanding that you're, you're not going to find a place necessarily that you get this full pension and you have all these great stock options and additional, right? Things are so much different than they were. And uh, if you're planning a career the way your parents' careers evolved, you're you're definitely going to be extremely limited in what your choices are. I also find that a lot of people, whether they're just starting out in a career or even a little bit further along, still have this connection to their parents' approval too, mm-hmm. which can play a big part into it. So. Mm-hmm because there are so many more options now, sometimes parents will look at a particular career path and think that's not a safe route or that doesn't make a lot of sense. And so when you have a parent that's saying something like that to you, you start to question it yourself and you likely shy away from it as opposed to going for something that you really enjoy. 
There's a lot to be said too for uh, like multiple income streams, which is also something that people in their fifties, not something they really thought about unless they're into it now. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So it's like the, whatever the sort of main career I'm putting that in air quotes, main career is, um, you know, it doesn't mean your kids aren't also doing something that gets them regular income. Maybe they sell products through Etsy or maybe they're, um, you know, maybe they have an online course that's bringing them, you know, there's so many different streams you can pull uh, income from. And that's something that a lot of people are really, because we're kind of stuck in this idea of traditional jobs. A lot of people are not comfortable with that and they don't understand that it can be just as amazing. Um, And in some cases, right, the variety helps you out a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. That's such a concept, like the income streaming, the various streams of, of revenue that you can create now, definitely not something that was really a thing 20 years ago. And when you kind of think about the whole overall sort of career development equation, maybe in the past was something like A plus B equals C, it's now loaded with variables and there's not a lot of constants anymore in that equation. It's more than just just three terms it has to do with like we like you said like how quickly things are evolving through technology i know that the institute for the future talked about the idea they're they're kind of prophesizing that by 2030 uh there will be basically um of all the jobs that exist then 85% of them do not exist now so between now and and then it was either 2030 or 2035 but in the next sort of 10 years mm-hmm. our speed of evolution in the labor market is only going to keep accelerating. And so like the complexity of how people can like so many different things that people can do to build a career. Now, I think it's a good reason to kind of let go of that old equation and let go of this assumption that we're talking about. Another career path that I know a lot of people have a challenge around is being an influencer, which is not something that existed. And it, can be very lucrative and it, it can be tough even for people in our generation to get their heads around. But I know people who are influencers and it's an incredible path for them. And so it's just one example of something that has come up that's totally out of the norm, but that can be profitable and, and useful. Yeah, I think about like the YouTube channels my eight-year-old is obsessed yes. with. And it's like, you go look up these people and they're they're totally cool for her to watch. Like they're great. They know their target audience and they, they appeal to it very well. These people are multimillionaires, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know? And I mean, obviously that doesn't happen for every, you know, for every YouTube channel that's launched, you're not making that kind of money, but yeah, I mean, obviously you're going to feel shaky and weird about that because it is, it is newer and it is, you know, it's not this established thing and there's no assigned credential to it. And, um, there's, you know, there's no iron ring <laughs> that you get no, for having, no. right? There's no, there's no official markers to it. So yeah, definitely that kind of stuff makes people feel really uncomfortable. So our fourth hurdle is difficulty in setting boundaries. And I see this not just with young people, but also with people who are further along in their career. But what do you see as being the major hurdle that people are facing in terms of setting boundaries at a younger age? I think when you're younger, there's this... Um, there's this desire to balance being kind of not people pleasing. I mean, that's kind of a personality thing, but you want to demonstrate that you're somebody who's a team player, right? You're trying to prove yourself. So um, there's this whole piece of you going, well, I I need to say yes to all these projects and I, I need to be available after hours and whatever, because you want to look like, 
you know, you're a keener and you're a go-getter and you want to be setting yourself up for, for promotions and other opportunities. Um, and I think the pandemic has really brought that out in people, right? Everybody's home and work lives are a puddle of goo <laughs> and you can't, it's really hard to define what from what and whatever. So I think you're seeing a lot of burnout um, because people aren't necessarily, you already had this, this issue of like, well, I got to prove myself. And then you, you throw in this, everybody has to be at home so often um, and it creates bigger challenges. But I think when you're younger, it's harder to um, establish those boundaries and still feel like, you know, you're not going to get grounded <laughs> for, yeah. uh, for, for speaking up or for, for saying, no, actually, I can't do that. Where do you think the balance is for people who are trying to showcase that they're a hard worker, but then also wanting to balance their mental health and their state of burnout, basically? I feel like a lot of it comes just from being proactive. Um, so you be the person who sets up the meeting with your boss and bring the agenda to say, these are the things I'm working on. Um, this is a lot. So I want to prioritize them so that I'm getting you what you need. Right. So you're demonstrating, I'm aware of your needs. I understand that part of my job is to help support what you do. How can I do this more effectively? Let's work together to create a solution. And I always feel like that's such a good approach to doing it because it is, you are setting boundaries and saying, listen, I can't do everything, mm -hmm. um, but I'm not trying to be difficult. And once you do that for a lot of people, it just opens up the conversation of, okay, right. We're both humans. Let's figure out how we can be human together. Yeah. This, this idea that, that there, well, I'm a huge fan of the idea of an abundance mindset and there's lots of opportunity and stuff in the world and all of that. Um, I also believe in the idea that there are so many hours in the day and our energy wallet um, can be lifted by a lot of things. It can be drained by a lot of other things. And if the balance there is off, then we just aren't ourselves in a very sustainable way. And so like the idea that I'm coming to is that sometimes people who are really, really busy, they tend to attract more work, right? They're really productive. And so people see their colleagues as saying, oh, let's give that new task to John or Jill or whatever. And the list keeps getting longer and longer. And instead of sort of letting the list get longer, the question for that person who is becoming overwhelmed to ask is, what would you like me to not do in place of this? Because that's, that's what brings back the perspective that, yes, there are some limits and if we want quality <laughs> to be sort of the prevailing factor, then we have to make a decision based on it. It also seems like there's a, an aspect of setting up some healthy habits for yourself at an earlier age, because it can be so hard once you're in particular habits to stop them. So if you can set up some boundaries and find ways of balancing this earlier on, because I find that if you, it can be hard when you go into a new job to set boundaries because you, again, want to prove yourself. But if you do it right from the beginning, you don't have to go back on it later. Whereas mm -hmm. if you've been in a job for six months and now you're trying to set boundaries, your boss already knows that you'll do it. So it, it can be harder at that point. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's kind of the idea, right? Like you teach people how to treat you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. I love that. Yeah. We should all come out with our own little handbooks for ourselves that we just, here you go, boss or colleague, or why not? 
What an interesting yeah. idea. I like it. This here's how to work with me. Mm-hmm. Here's my <laughs> manifesto. There One you go. pager or whatever. How many ever pages you need? <laughs> I think too, it's almost like an expansion. I was thinking about this the other day with a client and just in my own working life that if you keep expanding and you keep saying yes to things, sort of like you were saying, Mike, your capacity seems to be like a balloon and you, it just keeps growing. And so as it grows, people will just keep filling it with things. And it's really tough once it's been stretched to then stretch it back. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like figuring out a way of setting some of those boundaries that feels comfortable and also uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the image you just kind of made me think of really quickly is like that of maybe a river. So there's going to be times where the river is flowing faster than others. If the river dries out and you're not doing anything, you're probably going to get pretty, get pretty bored. But if there's too much water in the river, it's going to overflow. But between those two extremes, there could be big variation. And that can, I think, be a nice sort of middle ground where you're stimulated by the work that you do while not being either too bored or too busy. They literally call that flow state, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, flow state. (laughs) (laughs) That linked in very nicely. That was very good. Huh. Cool. Our work here is done. We're signing off now, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Four hurdles is all you get, listener. <laughs> cool. Anything you want to add, Lisa or Devin, to that? The only other thing I can think is like when you're, especially maybe when you're more of a new graduate, mm-hmm. you've just come from a place where, I mean, maybe not lately, but you've just come from a place where there's this huge social fabric, right? Think about like when you just graduated from college or university. And so these friendships run very, very deep and there's maybe an expectation that that will kind of do the same thing in the workplace. And so I think part of it is even recognizing like, you don't have to be best friends with everybody. You don't have to be drinking buddies with everybody. You just need to be able to work together effectively to serve the outcome of the project, to serve the client, to serve the whoever, right? And so it's this idea of, you know, taking away that idea that you need to be good buddies. And instead you just, you just kind of have to get through it. Um, as long as you're working effectively and, and working well, that's, that's really the goal. Such yeah. a big one. Yeah. It's a very different narrative for sure. Once you start working or it can be that narrative. And if you accept that, yeah, your, your friends are going to come from other parts of your life in a lot of cases, if that's the way you're going to go, it does relieve a lot of the pressure that I think we're talking about around people feeling like, got to impress everybody I'm around, but in reality, it's, it's not usually the case. Mm-hmm. Cool. So the last hurdle in this chat, I feel like maybe there will be a part two episode one day that we release on this. We're, we're making good time here. <laughs> the idea of having difficult conversations in the workplace, be it with a boss, a colleague, maybe a client, even if that's your role, let's talk about this. What kinds of things do you hear working with people when it comes to this difficulty? I would say probably one of the biggest hallmarks of this is um, candidates ghosting interviews. Hmm. Um, You know, you change your mind. I don't really want the job, whatever. And instead of calling and saying, I've decided to withdraw my application. Thank you so much for your interest. Wishing you all the best, which is a nice, simple way to deal with it. We just don't say anything. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how much um, 
of this can be attributed to sort of communication styles that our, our Gen Z friends have been raised on. Um, they've done a lot more texting, um, computer-based, right? They're communicating through video games and whatever. Um, you aren't necessarily seeing the person that you're talking to all the time um, where we weren't quite that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up in the eighties and we had, you know, we had video game systems, but they weren't connected to anything. You still had to leave the house to talk to other people. Um, and I wonder how much of that is like not learning how to be more invested in a conversation and not mm-hmm. learning kind of that as a base. And then when you are faced with these dis- difficult conversations, whatever they might be, it's, oh, I don't, I, I don't have the tools to deal with this. I don't really know what I need to do, but I would think that's probably the biggest place you see it. Um, is just people just not showing up for interviews. It makes me think of sort of a dehumanization of the conversation. Mm-hmm. You're able to detach the empathy from how it's affecting the other person. You, you just see it as an email that's come through as opposed to a person attached to that email. Yes. And I think maybe the pandemic has sort of exacerbated this reality where we're not, um, encountering people in the workplace, the way that we used to, we're not attaching a face. We're not attaching, you know, mannerisms, things that people do uh, on, on the kind of frequency that we're used to maybe before the pandemic. And I love your point, Devin, around like the communication medium of something like a text message or a DM or something like that has sort of like, it has replaced like, let's, let's have a 30 minute conversation about something and and the depth of relationships that you can build from that versus just like 140 characters send 140 characters send. Like it's a really different dimension that the people who are a little bit younger are coming from. I don't blame them because it's kind of the rules have been kind of put in place. I think by those that came before them as it often is, but I, I guess my question now would be like, what can, a Gen Z person do to kind of break that mold? I think it has to start with figuring out the balance between, um, between personal and professional. I mean, for a lot of them, I suspect those conversations are not as difficult with people they know. Mm. Um, but there's, it's something different when it's work conversations. And so it's kind of not necessarily busting down a wall. That's pretty dramatic, but like at least peeking over the top and being like, Oh, there's a real person over there. Right. So it's finding that way to connect with people as people Um, and then understanding as well um, what's important to bring up and what you can just let go. Um, I was having a conversation with a client the other day who was talking about working at a retail store and saying, you know, something was really bugging them. And then ultimately came to conclusion of, but it's like a minimum wage job. Am I really going to get in an argument about where we put this particular batch of stock. Like, I don't care that much. This person's annoying, but I don't care that much. Right. So part of it too, is kind of picking what you need to bring up and only having the difficult conversations that you have to right now, don't blow Mm -hmm. up something in your head so big that it becomes this, this insurmountable thing, but grabbing something that, you know, Hey, it needs to be talked about and then connecting with that other person on a human level. The art of letting go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> he didn't master him. He's like 16. I'm like, oh, good for you. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> Very impressive. It yeah, we, course. <laughs> they should. Seriously. Um, talk going back to different revenue streams. So the idea of like, on one hand, we can sort of 
minimize the number of really difficult conversations that we have because a lot of these conversations, maybe they just don't have to happen if we don't, you know, put the energy into that. If we don't power up these problems into something that become monsters. If you do have a situation where it's, it's a really big deal, like it's like, I can't let this go. Um, I've never really spoken to anyone, maybe other than my friend about this kind of a subject. I'm thinking of something like, something bad. Like I'm talking about like sexual harassment. I'm talking about racial profiling in your work. Like these are not cool things. Mm -hmm. What do you think could be the first step for someone facing that hurdle? I think for those kinds of things you want to check, um, start with policies and procedures, Mm -hmm. um, because there might be an actual chain of command that you need to follow. Um, it becomes challenging. So I worked at an organization where, uh, if we had any complaints like that, we were supposed to go to the executive director and which is good in theory um, Mm -hmm. until the question became, well, what if the problem is the executive director, Mm -hmm. right? Are you going to go to your boss about sexual harassment where they're one doing it? Of course not. Right. So starting with, you know, what are the protocols and how do you do that? um, Might, okay, they've established this. This is something that they, they, some, whoever I talk to is going to understand that this is a thing. If they've written it out, then they've thought about it. Um, and that I think can lessen some of that stress. Mm -hmm. Um, but it might be starting with somebody on the team and saying, I got this situation and I'm not really sure how to handle it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I've certainly had those conversations in the workplace where people are like, uh, they come to me. I hair is full of secrets. They come to me (laughs) and it's, (laughs) um, it's, can I talk to you about this thing? Like, yeah, totally. And, you know, I would say like, is that something you would go to? your human resources rep about, Oh no, 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 no. Okay. Like, I'm not saying you have to file a complaint or, you know, get a record on this, just gauging, but sometimes, you know, it's finding the person that you trust and how having them help you carry that and figure out what to do. If I could add to that, I would also say that a lot of times these things can be very emotionally charged and sometimes it's helpful to focus on some of the facts. Mm-hmm. So keeping a log of what's happening in a very factual way. Obviously the emotions play into it as well, but I love what you're saying, Devin, about finding somebody that you trust that you can then talk to, talk this through with before maybe having that explosion or having that emotional outbreak when it can be an absolutely an emotional thing. I love that too with a lot. It's so true, right? Somebody said something inappropriate, write it down, mark the time, mark the date. Yeah. That is a great point. The only other thing that I would add maybe into this hurdle goes back to what you were saying around how we have developed this habit in society to ghost recruiters or ghost our hiring managers and not show up for interviews. I think if we, and this is not just true for people who are, are getting started, but the ability to um, say no in a way that just sort of is good for everyone, right? Like release the tension let both parties move forward, including yourself. That is really like you're acting very much in service of the other person when you say no in a respectful way, I'm not saying be a jerk, but like when you decline something, it prevents the conversation from escalating to something that is what we were talking about earlier becomes really difficult, but you also develop an ease around this a lot more where it's like, okay, I, I, I'm going to say no to this. It's not the first thing I've said no to. I will say no to other things in my life. It also plays off of the boundaries thing that we talked about. 
And I just think we can all build our stamina around having um, the ability to kind of give that succinct and concrete empowering no that is actually beneficial and not just something to be afraid of. Definitely. Cool. Good practice. Yeah. Let go and say no. (laughs) Okay. So before we jump into our back end on this call, let's just recap where we've been so far. Uh, We've talked about five hurdles. The first one being navigating a quarter life crisis. Very common. The second hurdle, having a non-existent or really weak professional network. The third hurdle, assuming that your career path will resemble that of your parents and behaving as such. Hurdle number four is the difficulty in setting boundaries, something that can definitely sustain itself throughout the life your lifetime if you don't address it. And the fifth hurdle being having difficult workplace conversations and how we can all be better at that. It's been a really cool conversation just until now. Devin, thank you for just lending so many insights on so many different topics. We have some questions we like to ask of all the guests we have on our show. And Lisa's going to start this segment off. Yeah. So we like to talk about fun in our work because we find it's important. So what would you say is the most fun that you've had in your career so far? Um, I hope the most fun is still ahead of me, to be honest. Um, that's how I always like to think about stuff. Uh, probably the most fun I have is when I'm doing workshops and presentations. Um, I love being in front of a group. I love the energy um, in a big room full of people, no matter what size, that's a lot of fun for me. So the pandemic has not been fun (laughs) for that kind of stuff. Um, But those are the days I like the best. Amazing. And we all take some sort of risk in our career. So what would you say is the biggest risk that you've taken and how did it turn out? Um, Okay, so I left a full-time unionized job with a full pension and full benefits to start my own business. Um, I would say definitely not something you want to do unless you have your finances in order and you have a support network around you. Um, on a personal level, it's been one of the best decisions I've made. Um, I have been considerably healthier in the last uh, couple of years than I was prior to that, um, which is great. Uh, the pandemic did force me to close my business, uh, to full-time parents. So that was just kind of the nature of the beast. Uh, so professionally, it maybe hasn't gone as smoothly as I would have liked, but I don't regret the decision I made. Um, really, whatever does go smoothly the way you expect it to. And at the end of the day, you know, no matter how it was going to work out, I kept telling myself, you know, you have to pick something that aligns with your values, right? At the end of the day, you need to be able to look yourself in the mirror and be able to sleep at night. And that was ultimately what drove that decision for me. Amazing. That's really inspiring. I appreciate hearing that, actually. Thanks for sharing it. Thank you. What would you say is the best piece of career advice you've ever received, Devin? Hmm. Tricky. Um, Because I don't tend to seek out advice. Um, I would say probably in the form of a book. Um, So one of my very favorite books, which I recommend to everyone, and now you're going to get the recommendation, is The Happiness Equation by Neil Pazricha. And there are some really amazing thoughts, ideas, structures. It takes kind of traditional ideas of happiness and flips it on its head. Um, And so one of the things he talks about is we think that you get a good job and then you'll be successful and then you're going to be happy. But in reality, you want to flip it around. You have to start by being happy, which will make you feel successful, which will help you to do great work. 
And um, it's an interesting way, you know, it's just sauce like that, where it's like, oh yeah, good point. Mm -hmm. Or another um, thing he talks about, which I actually use with all my clients is breaking your week into three buckets of 56 hours and just recognizing, right. You have one bucket that's sleep. You have one bucket that's work, or in the case of the students I work with school. um, And then you have one bucket that's everything else. And so it kind of helps you to realize you have a lot more time than you think you do as long as you're using it wisely. Um, and just kind of just little things like that, where it's, you know, if you just flip your brain a couple little different directions, you can be much more mindful about your career choices and really about your life choices. What a cool way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. I definitely will add that book to my reading list. <laughs> highly recommended. Yeah. Cool. Highly recommended. Devin, where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Uh, so my website is careerified.ca. Um, and then you can find a careerified on, uh, Instagram and Facebook, and you can find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. We'll make sure that there are links to all those handles and places and definitely dear listener, check out Devin, as you can see a really amazing wealth of knowledge on all these really different topics. Yes. There might be the, the common theme of it being around what is it like to be a, a young person starting out in their career, but we can go in a lot of directions. I've appreciated the sort of the rich variety of things we've discussed today. Well, thank you so much again for having me on. It was a blast. Anything you want to add, Lisa? No, I just want to say thank you as well. I think that it's so great for people to feel a little bit more normal when they are dealing with this kind of stuff. And so touching on all these topics, I hope is very helpful for people. So thank you. And with that, we will call it a week for the Career Builders podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. Devin Turcott, go check out careerified.ca. We hope you are well, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now. Are you looking to connect with awesome people on LinkedIn and build the kind of professional network that gets you hired faster? Go to coachwazo.com slash C-E-L-I to get access to my free five-day e-course, called Connecting Effortlessly on LinkedIn. You'll be on your way to creating the relationships that build your career. Once again, that's C-O-A-C-H-O-I-S-E-A-U dot com slash C-E-L-I.